0: Next question comes from Samuel. And actually I can see there's about five question marks in the paragraph itself. So we'll unpack each question as we go along. Samuel has asked some easy ones for first home buyers in New South Wales. And actually this is applicable to any buyers. So um, I think it's just easy ones for first home buyers in the different stages of buying. When is stamp duty due if you have to pay it? So emphasis on if you have to pay it, Every state and territory has different thresholds for when you are stamp duty exempt. They also have concessions on sliding scales of reductions for stamp duty up to certain price points. I know in Melbourne, it varies based on metro or regional, and I believe that New South Wales may be the same, but do your research or simply ask your conveyancer. They are actually the one who process the duties form to lodge for stamp duty to see if there's anything payable or exempt. But in terms of when it's paid, Samuel, it is paid at the settlement. So it's part of your funds to complete along with the deposit that's been accounted for, the money that the bank's bringing to the table and then any uh, surplus funds that you need to have, stamp duty, the rates that are being prorated, the conveyance of fee, any banking fees, they're all payable at the settlement itself. The next question that Samuel has in this line of questions, after an offer at what stages of payments needed, i.e. how much would the deposit be if your offer is accepted? Great question. A standard deposit for the contract of sale when your offer is accepted is generally 10% of the purchase price. So if you paid $700,000 for the property, typically your deposit required is $70,000 and that money sits in the agent's trust account until settlement unless you have been served and sign an early release of the deposit form. Now, please, please lean on your legal representative for this. Sometimes there is a request for that money rather than it sitting in the agent's trust account. There is a request for it to be released to the vendors ahead of time. Maybe they need the funds to go and buy another property themselves or they've just requested it because they need the money. Do not sign any legal documents about releasing deposits until you have sought proper legal advice and that your conveyancer or lawyer advises that it's okay to do so. So, in terms of the payment needed for the deposit of the sale, it's standard 10%. However, you actually can negotiate this amount. So, if, let's just say you're contributing a fixed amount deposit regardless of what the purchase price is. Like, let's take the $700,000 purchase price example. So, we're saying 10% was $70,000, but you might have a fixed amount in cash like accessible in your bank account of $50,000 and maybe the rest is being made up by a guarantor loan or the funds are coming from somewhere else at a later date, you can actually specify the fixed amount of $50,000 as your deposit. Just a hot tip on deposits as well, by the way, and I don't want to linger on this for too long, but I think you'll find it helpful. When it comes to deposits, one thing I do for my clients and I think a lot of buyers don't know they can do this, is we actually put down a part deposit until the property is unconditional. So, what that means is, should we place an offer and the vendor accepts it, we might put down a nominal amount of say $10,000 and then the balance of the 10% deposit is not payable until the contract is unconditional. Now, this is when you're going through a private sale or an expressions of interest. I'm not talking about auctions here because obviously auctions are unconditional. On the day, you sign the paper and away you go. But when it comes to the deposit for private sales, you could do the part deposit of 10,000 and then once cooling off is finished and once any conditions have been met, such as building and pest, for example, or maybe a strata report needs to be done, then you can transfer the balance of the 10% across... The reason we do that is to mitigate risk um, of the funds being held when the contract isn't unconditional and also because logistically, a lot of the time you have to actually get authority from your bank to transfer a large sum. You might need to go into the branch itself or call them and be on hold for a little while to up your daily limit for the purpose of that transfer. So that's why we do it. The next question in this line of questions from Samuel says, when do you fully pay for the property? You fully pay for the property at the settlement. So on settlement day, basically what happens is all the funds are accounted for. So the deposit you've made to the agent's trust account is accounted for. The money that the bank is loaning you is there. And then also any surplus funds that you need to provide. So you might need to top up what you're putting in. You might not just be a straight 10% that you've already contributed upon the contract of sale signing, you might have an extra 10% you need to put in, you might have 10% plus the stamp duties, Your conveyancer will let you know what amount of money you need to have ready at settlement and which bank account it needs to be in. Sometimes they put it into the conveyancer's trust account. Sometimes it comes out of your bank account. Be aware of their systems and processes so that that money is there and you don't delay your settlement. There can be penalties for settlements being delayed. So check that out with your conveyancer. Final question along this line of question from Samuel. Would you get in trouble for not telling a broker or bank you don't have dependents so you can borrow more? The banks are going to find out pretty quickly if you have dependents because when you submit your documentation for a pre-approval, you have to give three months worth of bank statements from your everyday spending or for any account that you have really. And they can pretty quickly work out if you have dependents based on the money that you're spending, where you're spending it. I actually heard of a story once, this is going slightly to the side, but I heard of a story once of somebody who they actually didn't have any dependents, but they were an auntie to a lot of nieces and nephews. And they had all these repeated transactions that I think it was Toy World or something like that. And the bank actually queried if they did have a dependent because of the volume of transactions that was going there. So, you know, you're buying toys, like you must have children. They provide a documentation to explain that they don't. But just be aware that they really go through those bank statements with a fine-tooth comb to understand what you're spending, where you're spending, and it'll come out if you have dependents. I would not recommend lying to the bank. That's just my personal opinion.